Good evening. I'm glad that uh, my family and I can be here with you this evening, and uh, we do pray and trust that the Lord will bless our time here. Uh, Before we open up the Word of God, let's turn to the Lord once again in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the preciousness of your Word. We thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us. And our Father, we do pray that you would bless us this evening. We pray that you would help us to grow in our faith. Our Father, we pray that if it is a word of conviction that we need, that you would gently apply it to our lives. We pray that if it is a word of encouragement, our Father, that your word would build us up. Bless us, our Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today is Mother's Day. It is a day when we celebrate our mothers and thank the Lord for the women who have had a profound influence on our lives. In light of it being Mother's Day, I thought that it would be appropriate to turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth is a beloved mother in the scriptures. Though born a foreigner, she is an ancestor of King David and ultimately of Jesus Christ. What honor is given to her to be included in the family line of our Lord and Savior? Like Mary, she can say, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Ruth's inclusion in the genealogy of Jesus declares that God cares about all people, that he is the Savior of the world. People from all tongues and tribes will find salvation in him. The book of Ruth begins with a family of four heading to Moab to find food due to a famine in Israel. Elimelech, Naomi, and their two boys, Malon and Kilion, have the opportunity to leave Israel, specifically Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, to look for bread in Moab. Tragedy strikes the family. First, Elimelech dies. And then the two boys, they find wives in Moab, but both marriages are childless. And then eventually, both Malon and Kilion also die. Naomi is broken and empty. Her husband and her sons have all died. She is alone. She declares that the ultimate source of her distress is the Lord. He is the one who has made her life very bitter. On the one hand, she is right. She has a proper understanding of the sovereignty of God. As R.C. Sproul likes to say, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Everything in God's world runs according to divine providence. God is indeed ordering the events and the affairs of her life. As a result, he is the one who has brought hardship upon her. God's heavy hand of providence has resulted in her shattered dreams. But on the other hand, though she recognizes the sovereignty of God, what she fails to see at the outset of the book of Ruth is his kindness. Her definition of the good life is rooted in being provided for in the here and now. To have a good life means having a big family, lots of grandkids, a nice home, the provision of food and other goods. And she is not able to understand in the beginning 
that God has something good, something better in store for her than what she has lost. Yes, she is hurting, but God does not hurt her because he is mean and cruel. God has a good plan, a plan that will ultimately be for her good and for the good of humanity. Naomi begins the book empty, but what is her situation at the end of the book? She is full. In four short chapters, she goes from bemoaning her misery and wanting to be called Mara, which means bitter, to being full and having her friends rejoice with her in God's amazing goodness that he has bestowed upon her. What makes the difference? How does she get from chapter 1 to chapter 4? The difference is redemption. That is what the book of Ruth is all about. In between the introduction and the conclusion of the book, there are five scenes. The third scene, the central scene, which we read earlier, is the key. In that that simple scene, we are introduced to the idea of a kinsman redeemer. The hope and then the enactment of redemption is what makes all of the difference in Naomi's life. God is a God who provides redemption for empty, broken, hurting people. And you probably know the story well, but we all love to hear stories, even familiar stories. And so this evening, I would like to quickly work our way through the narrative of the book of Ruth with a focus on redemption. Boaz, the great and generous kinsman redeemer, in the book, points us to the greater, more glorious Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Scene 1, Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 to 22. Ruth moves towards Boaz. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1 are an introduction. They set the stage. Naomi's dreams have been shattered. She is empty. She is broken. She is in distress. And our hearts break for her. You can argue that some of her pain may be self-inflicted, asking why did she and her family leave God's land and God's people in the first place? But potentially unwise decisions do not prevent us from having compassion on her. We can identify with her. We know what it is like when things don't go our way. We understand what it is to be afflicted by God's hard providence. As we think about the losses in our lives, we weep with her. And what is Naomi going to do in her misery? While in Moab, she hears that there is once again bread in Bethlehem, and so she decides to return to Israel. Initially, both of her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, journey with her. They love Naomi, and they want to care for her. However, Naomi encourages them to return to Moab. She declares that if they come with her, then their lives will be miserable. They will have no husbands, no children, no hope of having what she understands to be the good life. In her mind, there is nothing in Israel for them. Orpah is convinced by her mother-in-law's argument, but Ruth is not. Ruth has come to learn that there is something in Israel There is something in Israel that she wants more than anything else. 
the Lord God. Ruth is willing to leave behind everything in Moab in order to seek out God and to be numbered among his people. The young woman has a complete change in perspective. She was raised a pagan, but somehow, through this family, she has come to hunger for the Lord. Though Naomi has no hope, Ruth does have hope because she looks to God. She says that she will live and she will die among God's people. And these are not just nice but empty words. She will, as we will see in her actions through this book, show that she is determined to live a life of obedience to the Lord. So in scene one, the two ladies return to Israel. Scene two, Ruth chapter two, verses one to 16, Ruth and Boaz meet in the field. Ruth, who is devoted to her mother-in-law, is a godly woman, a very kind woman, and also a practical woman. They need to eat, and Ruth is willing to do something about it. She knows that there is provision in the law of Moses for care to be given to foreigners, widows, and the poor. Those who are without are permitted to gather up the leftovers from the fields after the harvesters have gone through. And Ruth is more than willing to do this so that she and Naomi may eat. God's providence, which seemed to be so hard to Naomi and her family in chapter 1, is now working in their favor. Naomi doesn't give Ruth any direction. As Ruth wanders, no one points her to a particular field. Yet she ends up in the perfect place. She just happened to happen upon a certain field. And I think that the writer of this book probably had a glimmer in his eye when he wrote chapter 2, verse 3. Her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz. But as the author knows, and as we know, there's no such thing as chance. God is at work. God wanted Ruth in Boaz's field. God is doing something, something unexpected and marvelous. Boaz, the owner of the field, is a good man, a man of standing. He is a godly man. He greets those in his field in the name of the Lord. Upon his arrival in his property, he quickly notices Ruth out working in the field, and he asks about her. Who is she? Where did she come from? He is told that she is the woman who has come with Naomi from Moab. Boaz approaches Ruth and tells her to remain in his field. At a cost to himself, he encourages her to take from his grain according to the rules of the law. But he goes beyond that and even tells her to enjoy the water that the men have filled. Ruth never expected to receive kindness such as this. She asks, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And it is important to note that she is not just a foreigner, but she is from Moab. Because of past offenses, the Israelites were not supposed to have friendly relations with those from Moab. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through, eight, or three through 6. The Moabites withheld bread from the Israelites when they came up out of the land of Egypt. Will Boaz seek to settle the ages-old score and withhold bread from Ruth? Well, definitely not. 
what we see is a man who overflows in generosity. He goes above and beyond what the Lord requires in the law. And what drives Boaz is that not only is he kind, but he is a spiritually astute man. Ruth calls herself a foreigner, but Boaz calls her his daughter. He rightly discerns that she isn't really a foreigner. She may have been born in Moab, but she has come to find refuge under the wings of the Lord. Boaz's words in verse 12 reveals how he views her. She has committed herself to following God, to living among and showing kindness to God's people. She, like Rahab, all those years ago, have turned from their idolatrous background. She has turned away from her life of sin and has looked for mercy and life in the Lord. Ruth is an object lesson of what genuine repentance looks like. She has left behind everything for God. Her country, her family, her friends, all that she knew, all that was familiar, she turned away from that and went with Naomi to Israel because she wanted to have a relationship with the true and living God. Her desire for the Lord was so great that she counted everything else as rubbish compared to knowing him. And Boaz has observed all this. He understands that she is committed to the Lord. He sees the kindness that she has shown to Naomi, and so he welcomes her and blesses her. The generosity of Boaz is multiplied. We see it in so many ways in chapter 2. He offers lunch to Ruth, and then he gives orders to his men to leave her alone to not touch her, but to help her as she is seeking to glean barley. And this was a good day. And then at the end of the day, Ruth returns home. And that brings us to scene three. Ruth chapter two, verses 17 to 23. The kinsman redeemer. This is a pivotal scene in this book. A short scene, but one that is key to understanding the importance of the book of Ruth in the scriptures and for our lives. Ruth returns home to Naomi with her arms full of the barley that she has gathered. And Naomi is amazed. She cannot believe that Ruth had such a successful day. How is it possible for Ruth to have accomplished so much? And even though she is hurting, even though she is discouraged, Naomi cannot deny that something extraordinary has happened. She knows that God must be working for them. Naomi asks, who took notice of you? In whose field did you labor? And the answer is Boaz. The clouds that have been hanging over Naomi start to part. And the sunshine begins to break through. Verse 20 And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And there are two wonderful parts to Naomi's response in this verse, verse 20. At the end of the verse, she says, The man, Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Other translations 
talk about the guardian redeemer, or I personally like the phrase, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is a kinsman, a close relative. In the law, provision has been made for a close family member to help out those who are impoverished. God's intention is that every person in the nation of Israel is to directly benefit from the inheritance of the land. The promised land is God's land. He is the ultimate owner who has given it to the nation of Israel so that they all might benefit. In order to ensure that all people benefit and are blessed in the land, there are laws regarding inheritance rights. God wants to preserve the blessing and the name for all of his people. So there are provisions regarding the family land and the family line. And though the provisions are treated separately in the law, in the book of Ruth, they are joined together. There are two aspects to the role of the kinsman redeemer as we read of it in Ruth. And the first pertains to the land. The kinsman redeemer, as per Leviticus 25, will redeem the land on behalf of an, of an impoverished family member who has had to sell it. This is Leviticus 25, 23 through 25. The Lord says, The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. Boaz, Naomi says, is in a position to help them redeem the land and to keep it in the family. And if you read further in Leviticus 25, you will see that if no redeemer is found and if the individual cannot eventually redeem it themselves, then it will revert back to them in the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years was considered a year of Jubilee when debts would be canceled, when the land would return to the original owner or the family. But that may take a long time. And they will lose much benefit from the land. And it is best to have a redeemer help in the hour of need. So the first aspect to the kinsman redeemer involves the land. And then the second aspect pertains to the family line. Who will carry on the family name? God's promises are to be perpetual, ongoing promises, and it is not right or good for a family line to end in Israel. So in Deuteronomy 25, provision is made. This is Deuteronomy 25, 3 through 6. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. The Redeemer would not only purchase the land, but he would be in a position to marry into the line, in this case, to marry Ruth, and therefore to perpetuate the line of Elimelech. As Naomi contemplates Boaz's generosity, she wonders if he just might be the redeemer that they are looking for. Might he be the answer to their problems? But her hope is not ultimately in Boaz. Naomi also says in this verse, 
chapter 2, verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The blessing is on Boaz, but the kindness that she delights in is the kindness not of Boaz, but of the Lord. What Naomi has struggled with is the question, is God kind? Has God forgotten me? Does he care? And seeing the success of Ruth and the generosity of Boaz, a potential kinsman redeemer, shows her that yes, God is kind. He sees her and he cares for her. He has continued to show kindness to the dead, to Elimelech and his legacy. There is hope that the family name might not be lost to history. He has shown kindness to the living, to herself and to Ruth, in that he has provided for them. We do not always know what God is doing, but the testimony of the scripture is abundantly clear. God is perfect in his kindness. His compassions never fail. Great is thy faithfulness. There is hope. There is hope of redemption. There is hope because God is kind and he provides redemption for his people. And that brings us to scene four, Ruth chapter three, Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. And there's parallel here. In scenes two and four, we have the major interactions between Ruth and Boaz. In scene two, it's in the field. And here in scene four, it's at the threshing floor. Time passes and there seems to be no development on the Boaz as the kinsman redeemer front. What is going on? Does he not know what he's supposed to do? Naomi devises a plan to bring the matters to a head. After a hard day of threshing grain and the following celebration rejoicing in the good harvest, Boaz will spend the night out on the threshing floor. Naomi's scheme is that Ruth will approach Boaz, uncover his feet, trusting that he will tell her what to do. Ruth follows the instructions of Naomi and washes herself, puts on her clothes, and then goes down to the threshing floor. She waits for Boaz to fall asleep and then uncovers his feet and lays down. This was an incredibly risky scheme for a number of reasons. Naomi's plan opened up Boaz and Ruth not only to temptation, but also to accusation. There would definitely be the appearance of impropriety and the risk of sexual immorality. Not only that, but Ruth would have to expose herself to danger by traveling alone at night throughout the city. In addition, Boaz may have been offended at Ruth's forwardness. Could they not have just talked during the day sometime? There's much that could have gone wrong. But God is kind. At some point in the night, Boaz stirs and is startled to see a woman lying by his feet. He asks, who are you? Ruth identifies herself and asks that Boaz spread the corner of his garment over her, for he is a kinsman redeemer. She is asking him to function as the redeemer for her and Naomi, to redeem the land and also to take her as a wife with the intention of protecting Elimelech's family, family name. And what we see is a recognition of the need 
of redemption. Naomi realizes that. Ruth realizes that. They're impoverished. Naomi says, I'm empty. They realize they need a redeemer. They need help. And they can't manufacture the help within themselves. They are looking for someone external to provide for them, to protect them, to be kind to them, to be generous, to help them in their time of need. She reaches out to Boaz, and Boaz marvels at her kindness, saying that this kindness is greater than her first kindness. Her first kindness was leaving her country, her family, and her home to come to Israel to look after Naomi. But in this kindness, she willingly gives up her claim to her own future in order to secure the inheritance rights for Elimelech and Naomi. Boaz's estimation of her is so high that he thinks that any man would be a fool not to be interested in her. She could pursue and marry any man, rich or poor, that she wanted. She could marry for love. She could marry for wealth. She could marry for lust. Whatever her heart's desire, Boaz says, I'm sure you could find a guy. But when she said that Naomi's people will be her people and Naomi's God would be her God, she really meant it. She was willing to live under the law and provide for her in-laws and their family name. She put their needs and their inheritance above her own desires. Boaz declares that he will gladly perform the role of the kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer must be at least three things. First, they must be kin. They must be related. And it has already been established that Boaz is related to Elimelech. Second, a kinsman redeemer must be willing. And this is the question that is answered in chapter 3. This is what Naomi and Ruth did not know. Would Boaz be willing to be the redeemer? Would he pay the price to bring them out of poverty? He is a willing redeemer. And though we do not have the role of a kinsman redeemer today, and maybe as you're being reminded of the story, you think some of these things are pretty weird and archaic, there is still the same expectation that we will care for others, particularly those who are in need. What does James say is true religion? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Boaz gives us an example of the kindness and generosity that is to characterize all of God's people. A kinsman redeemer must be willing to pay the price to help those in need. So a kinsman redeemer must be kin, they must be willing, and third, they must be able. It is one thing to be kind and generous and want to help out, but is the individual in a position to do so? Can they actually pay the price? And though the question of Boaz's willingness has been answered, though he is a kin and though he is wealthy, he may not be able to function as the kinsman redeemer. 
Because there is another one who has a prior claim. There is a closer relative than Boaz. And that brings us to scene five. Ruth chapter four, verses one to 12. Boaz moves to get Ruth. I think you see movement in scenes one and scenes five. In scene one, it's Ruth and Naomi, and they are moving towards Boaz, towards Israel. And here, Boaz moves from the threshing floor to go get Ruth. At the end of chapter three, Boaz told Ruth that he would deal with this matter. He sent her back to Naomi with more provision, and he set out to talk to the near redeemer. The final scene answers the question, of who will be the Redeemer. Redemption will happen for Naomi and Ruth, but who will do it? Boaz goes to the city gate where business and legal matters are dealt with. When the individual comes by, Boaz gets his attention and brings over 10 of the elders from the town to witness the conversation. Boaz begins by telling this individual that Naomi intends to sell the field and that he is willing to play the role of the Redeemer. However, first, Boaz offers the opportunity to redeem the field to the near Redeemer. And he says that he will redeem it. And we read that with great sadness. Even though these chapters are short, we've grown to love both Ruth and Boaz. We want to see them together. What is this guy doing? He's ruining our happy ever after that we are looking for. But then Boaz says that upon the redemption of the land, he will also acquire Ruth as a wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And the big grin that was on this man's face disappears. Things change for him. He says that he will now not redeem it. And what made the difference? When he thought that the scenario was that he would purchase the land, he was all for it. He knows that there are no near living descendants for Elimelech. And so the field would eventually become permanently his. In the year of Jubilee, there was no one else that it would go to, no children or grandchildren of Elimelech. So it would become his, part of his empire, his holdings. And he thought this was a great idea. I'll shell out a bit of money and I'll get another field. It was a good real estate deal. But Ruth's willingness to marry the kinsman redeemer and to raise up one to inherit the land for Elimelech, that's not what he wants. He is not willing to pay the price. He is not committed enough to the Lord to be willing to show that degree of kindness and generosity to someone else. He does not really care if Elimelech's name disappears. But in the end, it's his name that disappears. I think it's very intentional that this individual's name is not recorded in the scripture. His failure to love others reveals his lack of love for the Lord. And so he is forgotten. But Boaz and Ruth, they are not forgotten. And there is now nothing that stands in the way of their union. They are wed. 
The elders bless the couple, asking that the Lord's favor would be upon them. And that is what most certainly happens. Ruth and Boaz play a beautiful role in redemptive history. Their story is recorded not only because Boaz is a willing redeemer and teaches us about what redemption is. Their story is recorded because their great-grandson is King David, and they're in the family line of the great and ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. Naomi started the story empty, but listen to what the women say about her by the end. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. The good life comes to Naomi. She wanted to be provided for. She wanted to have a family. And she gets that. But she gets way more than that. She gets the better life. She has learned so much about God, about his care, about his provision. She has the blessing of this daughter-in-law who has loved her so much. She has understood what God's redemption is about us so that he might redeem us. He loved us so much that he left the glory of heaven and came to this earth, took on human flesh, became a bondservant, in order to save us, in order to redeem us. He is kin, and he must be willing. And Jesus is a willing redeemer. He came to earth determined to do the Father's will. Time and again he says, not my will, but your will. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. He came willingly. He came to pay redemption's price. And the redemption price was his life. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died on the cross, paying the price so that his people might be forgiven. Jesus is a willing redeemer. And Jesus is an able redeemer. He was willing to shed his blood And his blood is sufficient. His blood is effective. His atonement works. All those who come to him in faith will be cleansed, will be forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ can wash the foulest sinner clean. And so what a hope we have in Jesus. What a beautiful story the story of Ruth is. As it points us genealogically to Jesus Christ, but points us to Jesus as Redeemer. The story of redemption, that is the story of the scriptures. All humanity has a great need, and our need is met by God's provision of a sufficient Redeemer. And those who are redeemed, will they joyfully proclaim it? Look at the joy at the end of of this.